Today's teaching text is Hebrews 5, verses 7 through chapter 6, verse 3. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear. It is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. These are the words of the Lord. Good morning again. Surprise, I'm back. Um, I want to first start out saying that I am thankful to our church and to Derek for the platform for women to preach and use their voices and leadership here, uh, right? <laughs> I have to say, not everyone in church ministry can say that, so I want to just acknowledge the fact that this is a church that values that, and I am very, very grateful. Yeah. Um, so, preparing this sermon this week has been a little bit cray-cray for me. Um, we were, I was with my, I have two children, they're three and six, and a husband, and um, we went to VBS this week, and I was helping with it, and it's summertime, so a lot of this message was done while my children were roundhouse kicking each other in the face behind me. Um, listening to kids bop, asking me for snacks about 500 times, and asking me how to play Minecraft, which I still don't know how to do. So if anybody wants to help me out afterwards, you can help us uh, figure out how to play Minecraft. <laughs> um, so I have to say that it is only by the grace of God and the prayers of the people and the help of my husband that I was even able to do this. So I'm praying that the Holy Spirit today will bring order and make sense out of all my jumbled pieces of information and things that I felt the Lord give me. It, up until last night, it looked a lot like the floor of my closet. Lots of pieces all over the floor jumbled into this big mess. So I was just trusting that the Holy Spirit would help me bring order to it. Um, especially, I wasn't exactly a person that grew up having a reputation for being great under pressure. Um, when I was in middle school, my husband is going to cringe that I'm telling the story. He's like, no, 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 don't tell this. Um, <laughs> when I was in middle school, I wanted to be well-rounded, so I decided to go out for the middle school basketball team. Um, 
I'm sure you, you guys can picture that. It, yeah. Um, I went to a small private Christian school. So when I say I went out for the basketball team, it means I literally just showed up and I was on the team. So that was their first mistake. Um, but I, you know, we started practicing and I was all into it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be this basketball player. Woohoo. WNBA. Well, it didn't exist then, but anyway, I clearly remember being in this game, this big game, whatever a big game is to a small private Christian school, um, and being put in and running down to the other team's goal. And somehow the ball was dropped and I got a hold of the ball and I was so nervous and so excited that I finally got my hands on the ball that I just shot it. But if you know the rules of basketball, that when you shoot it at the other team's goal, they still get the two points. They get the two points. Yeah. So um, needless to say, my career in basketball was very short-lived. And I decided to stick with singing, which turned out better for me than basketball. So hopefully, with all the pressure that I've put on myself this week, by the end of this time together, you guys won't be scoring goals for the other team or rooting for the other team. So we'll see how that works out. But I've never really been a fake it till you make it kind of person. I don't hide. I don't have a good poker face. I just kind of, it's me. It's just who I am. So I'm not standing before you today on the platform as some spiritual giant. And some of you that know me are laughing and elbowing each other like, (laughs) hardly. Um, (laughs) I used to have this misconception that people that were on the platform in ministry were these people that had found some mysterious holiness that was untouchable. And that's why they were up there. And I'm just letting you know today that I am not one of those people. (laughs) Uh, I far too often lose my patience with my children. I react with my feelings over facts sometimes. I sometimes use words when I stub my toe. They're not in the New Testament. They're in the Old Testament. (laughs) I looked... (laughs) It's true. It's true. I mean, I told you I don't have a good poker face. Um, I... uh, I a lot of times look down at the water instead of looking to Jesus when I feel called to step out of the boat. Um, I always had, in the beginning of when I felt like God was calling me into ministry, I always kind of felt like he found me on the island of misfit toys somewhere and just threw me on stage. Like I just didn't belong there. Uh, The first time I was ever called to lead worship, it was uh, on stage at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio in front of 20,000 people. So that's not, that is not a brag statement by any means whatsoever. It's just so that to show you I was neither qualified nor was I ready for that moment. But for some reason, he had chosen to throw me up there. And that was my first foray into worship leading. And there, I, I'm not telling you all of this for some type of like condemnation or self-deprecation. But what I'm trying to tell you here is that I wasn't qualified. I was called. And that's all that we need. If Jesus calls us, we're qualified because he calls us sons and daughters. So I'm here to tell you that what I'm teaching on today is what I need to learn the most. (laughs) So I confess my weakness to you not to be shameful about who I am because I know who I am, but I also know who he is. So I say all of this today so that his power can be made perfect in my weakness so that I won't get in the way of what he has to say to you this morning. So if I can quote Paul, not that I've already attained it or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 
I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you all today that you may not feel qualified, but all of us as believers, when we have that moment where we've decided to yield to Christ, that we are all called sons and daughters of the great high priest. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you, all of us, may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we, every single one of us that know Christ and that believe in him, are all ministers. So the only difference between the person standing up on the platform and the person in the seat is just a microphone. We all have that same calling on our life. So we are all ordained to be ministers and priests. So when I was praying about, I'm going to make this higher. When I was praying about what I should speak on, I kept getting from the Lord that he wanted me to speak on spiritual maturity today. Um, No pressure again. (laughs) I have felt in my heart for about a year now that the Lord was calling this church right now in this season into maturity. You know, this church looks a lot different today than it did nine years ago when my husband and myself were called here to Trinity Grace Westside. Um, But the Lord knew nine years ago, the day that we stepped foot in here, when he called us here, that we would be here nine years later in this season that the church is in right now. So he's been preparing us and each one of us that have been here and that have stepped through these doors, every single one of us, for the season that we're in. So as I was going through this, I kind of realized like this wasn't exactly a sermon, but it's more a charge or a blessing that I want to speak over us today, that I am confident that each one of you that are here today in this church, that he who began a good work in each one of you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, that he's calling each one of us into maturity right now in this season. So if he's calling us into maturity, what does that look like? So I want to share with you a secular definition of maturity from Webster's Dictionary. Here we go. Maturity is a form of the word mature. So what does mature mean? As a noun, it means having completed natural growth or development, having attained a final or desired state, having achieved a low but stable growth rate. And as a verb, it means to bring to completion to become fully developed or ripe. So there's a theme here. It's a growing theme. So since maturity and growth go hand in hand, what does the definition of growth or grow mean? It means to spring up and develop to maturity, to be able to grow in some place or situation, to increase in size, to develop from a parent source, to have an increasing influence, to undergo natural development, to swell, to increase. Um, so as I was researching maturity, I was like, what does that look like from a psychological standpoint? So I looked up on psychology today, which is one of the biggest, I mean, I assume, I don't know, Sarah can, (laughs) Sarah can affirm this for me since she's in that field. Um, I looked up on psychology today, which is one of the biggest, uh, websites for psychology. What the marks, what is the definition of the marks of a mature person? So, Just so you know, this is a secular website. This is not a Christian website. Um, And these are what were on Psychology Today of marks that deem a person mature. 
a mature person is able to keep long-term commitments. They commit to continue doing what is right even when they don't feel like it. A mature person is unshaken by flattery or criticism. They are secure in their identity. A mature person possesses a spirit of humility. Again, this is a secular website. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. They see how others have contributed to their success and can even sincerely give honor to their creator, that was actually on there, who gave them talent. It's the opposite of arrogance. A mature person's decisions are based on character, not feelings. They have principles that guide their decisions. Their character is master over their emotions. A mature person expresses gratitude constantly. A mature person knows how to prioritize others before themselves. Some of you guys are getting nervous because you're sitting next to your friends and spouses, knowing in their head they're mentally checking off these boxes. Am I mature? Now I'm nervous. I'm sweating. (laughs) A mature person seeks wisdom before acting. So after I've read this, for me, it begs the question, how can we apply the marks and characteristics of a mature person to spiritual maturity? What does spiritual maturity look like? I find it interesting that a lot of these marks of a mature person, even in a secular setting, point us back to things that can be found in Jesus. A mature person keeps commitments, um, steadfastness. The Bible talks all about being steadfast. A mature person is unshaken by flattery. They know who they are. The Bible talks about our identity comes from knowing Christ, from praying, from finding out who he is and who we are in him. A mature person possesses a spirit of humility. They give sincere honor to their creator. We worship God. We sing to him. We shout to him. We give him all the credit where credit is due as believers. We bow in reverence to him. A mature person's decisions are based on character, not on feelings. We, as believers, live by God's word. We ask God to make us righteous in him, in right standing with him. A mature person expressed gratitude constantly, constantly thanking God, praising him. A mature person knows how to prioritize others before themselves. A mature person seeks wisdom before acting. This points us back to prayer, points us back to gratitude, points us back to worship of our creator, points us back to identity. It points us back to having some moral, ethical, ethical compass that we live by. So that was what God's word says all about things maturing in the faith and an answer to that. So how do we even get there? How do we expand and swell and grow and increase in maturity? Let's go back to our teaching text for a second. Concerning this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. By the way, this is from the Amplified Bible, because I, like I like a lot of explanation. <laughs> Concerning this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull and sluggish in your spiritual hearing and disinclined to listen. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, because of the time you have had to learn these truths, you actually need someone to teach you again the elementary principles of God's word from the beginning. And you have come to be continually in need of milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is doctrinally inexperienced and unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a spiritual infant. But solid food is for the spiritually mature, whose senses are trained by practice to distinguish between what is morally good and what is evil. 
Therefore, let us get past the elementary stage in the teachings about Christ, advancing on to maturity and perfection and spiritual completeness, doing this without laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of teaching about washings, ritual purifications, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are all important matters in which you should have been proficient long ago. And we will do this, that is proceed to maturity, if God permits. So for those of you who have taken care of a baby before, or had a baby, or uh, watched a baby, you know that babies progress in eating in this way. They're, they start out being fed milk. So someone has to feed it to them. If they're bottle fed, someone has to feed it to them. Someone has to put it in the bottle and prepare it, warm it up, remembers to feed it to them at the proper time, and actually feed it to them. <laughs> Babies who are just on milk are not usually self-sufficient in any way at all. When they, are, when they grow more and they are at the point of being able to eat solid food, they develop physically what's called a pincer grasp or a grip in their physical development. And a pincer grasp is when a child pinches an object or a piece of food with their thumb and index finger. That's usually, for those of you that have watched an infant grow up, and you notice that's when you start giving them little soft finger foods. And they slowly, they either do it with their fist, and then they slowly, by practice, they progress to their thumb and their finger. And they're able to pick it up and feed it to themselves. The food has been laid out for them. But no one is having to do the act of feeding except for them. The parent's job becomes a little bit lighter, and they can relax just a little bit more at mealtime because now the baby can independently pick up the food and feed themselves. So how many of us sometimes expect someone else to feed us spiritually? And when they aren't giving us exactly the right thing we want, we get frustrated, we get ornery. When here the writer of Hebrews is saying, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. He's saying that some of us are still wanting someone to feed the milk of God's word to them from a Bible, I'm mean, sorry, from a bottle, when you've had plenty of time to develop and grow into being able to feed yourselves the solid food of God's word. Um, if I can quote another verse, it says in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 11, 15 says, And his gifts to the church were varied, and he himself appointed some as apostles, special messengers, representatives, some as prophets who speak a new message from God to the people, some as evangelists who spread the good news of salvation, and some as pastors and teachers to shepherd and guide and instruct. And he did this to fully equip and perfect the saints, God's people, for church, for works of service, to build up the body of Christ, the church, until we all reach oneness in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, growing spiritually to become a mature believer, reaching to the measure of the fullness of Christ, manifesting his spiritual completeness and exercising our spiritual gifts in unity, so that we are no longer children, spiritually immature, tossed back and forth like ships on a stormy sea and carried about by every wind of shifting doctrine, by the cunning and trickery of unscrupulous men, by the deceitful scheming of people ready to do anything for personal profit, but speaking the truth in love in all things, both our speech and our lives expressing his truth. Let us grow up in all things into him, following his example, who is the head, Christ. So that right there tells me 
as a part of the body of Christ, we all have a part to play in this too. God has given all of us different gifts. The pastor has one gift to help us in maturing us, to teach us. But we all have different gifts that help help encourage and help to build up and help to mature each other in the body of Christ. In our daily lives, in our families, in our sphere of influence, and in this church. And as mature believers, we all have the ability to feed ourselves. We don't have to put that responsibility on somebody else. It's our responsibility. And that we're also called to practice it, to get better at it. One of the things that said about Jesus in Hebrews was that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, which, by the way, he was 33 years old when he died. So let's just say he died right at 33 years old. We don't totally know, but 33 years would equal out to 12,045 days. It says that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he had suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So look at Jesus' life. He was, he was Jesus, for crying out loud, <laughs> the son of God, the chief cornerstone, the beginning and the end. And he was still crying out to God in tears every day. And it says he was heard because of his reverent submission. He wanted to pray to God and he wanted to obey God and follow his words. And oh, by the way, I want to say this. This text that I just read was from 2 Peter. And nobody in the Bible in my opinion, shows an illustration of someone who spiritually matures in the faith more than Peter. So I would listen to anything Peter has to say on spiritual maturity because he had gone through it all. So how do we get to know Christ? Through his word, through reading it, through practicing it, through praying it, through living it, through spending time with him, praising him for who he is, submitting our will to him, a lot of us know this, but are we actually doing it? Are we actually practicing it on a daily basis? Listen, I do not have the time that I used to when I was younger to sit down and check all the boxes on the Bethmore Bible studies. I don't have my devotional quiet time anymore where I have the Hillsong music playing. I don't have this formula anymore for hearing God because my life is busy. The season of life that I'm in is I'm a mom of two small children, and it's chaos all the time, literally nonstop noise. I'm not even exaggerating about that. If you've been around my children, you know this. Um, yeah, so, but we cannot let our old formulas of hearing God discourage us because of the season of life that we are in right now. His presence is everywhere. We can access him over laundry, over the dishes, on the subway, on the playground, in the one minute we have between meetings to say, are you there, God? It's me. I just need you today. Are you there? I mean, if we have to tape a scripture verse over the sink so that we have time to read it while we're doing the dishes, do it. It says those that seek him will find him. It doesn't say by some perfect formula or some perfect atmospheric place. You will find him if you seek him, no matter where you are. 
The Bible says to prove yourself doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts and not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize its meaning. Deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he is like a man who looks very carefully at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looked like. But he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener who forgets it, but an active doer who obeys, he will be blessed and favored by God in what he does in his life of obedience. Um, I had my first child at 35, and I had my second child at 38. So from the small town that I came from, that was very late in life because some of the people that I went to high school with are already grandmothers now at my age. I'm not even kidding. That's not even a joke. They're probably offended that you're laughing at that. <laughs> um, but at, I turned 40, and I suddenly realized that I had two wild ninjas in my house, and that I was out of shape, I was out of breath trying to keep up with them. I needed a plan to be able to keep up with them. So I was continually looking forward in my mind to my second son at his high school graduation. This is painful. And me at 56 years old with an 18-year-old. <laughs> and I wanted to be able to be happy with the 56-year-old that I saw in my mind, knowing that I could keep up with my kids because I was an older mom. So I wanted to be the best version of myself that I could be, so I started seriously looking at working out. Um, I had all the plans. I had all the books. I had all the diets. I'd tried all the diets my whole life. I'd looked at, I'd looked at all the workout plans my whole life. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I started finally, I got this app at the gym, and I started finally using it, and I started feeling stronger for the first time in my life, physically stronger, and I started seeing results. And I started seeing the changes that in that I could lift heavier weights than I could before. Don't worry. They're, listen, they're not that heavy. So, <laughs> But heavier than, like, the five-pounder, you know, that's on the ground. Um, <laughs> But I had every book, every fitness plan, every single thing at my house to, my, to, my, to be able to access it. Um, but I wasn't doing it. But it wasn't until I had my children that I had an end game in mind of a picture that I didn't want to see anymore when I got older. I knew what I wanted to see and what I wanted to see was not where I was at right now. So I made the end game for myself to be, I wanted to be in shape for these two kids. I wanted to be the mom that could keep up with them. So just like working out, you know, we look at these pictures of people with six-pack abs, and we have every workout plan, we have every book, we have every diet on the internet, we have every Pinterest ab picture pinned, we have the workout apps, but nothing will change if we don't put the work in, if we don't put the sweat in. So let me ask you this, what do we want this church, this church, to look like one year from now? I'm not talking about the global church. Right now I'm being selfish and I'm talking about this church. What do we want this church to look like one year from now? I don't know about you, but I want to see more. I want to see maturity and growth go hand in hand. And growth sometimes requires us to be uncomfortable, to branch out of our comfort zone 
My son is six, and a lot of nights he'll say to me, Mommy, Mommy, my legs hurt. My legs hurt. They're growing. I can feel them stretching, and I can feel them growing, and it hurts. So growth can cause discomfort, but the outcome causes us to grow, causes us to mature, causes us to to be taller, to be higher, and to be able to see things from a different view. We can't say stagnant or else our growth will be stunted. So every Sunday, I'm here with my band early at 7.30. If anybody ever wants to come and bring us donuts, we're here. Hint, hint. Um, But I pass the teacher's lounge at 9.30, and that's where we have pre-service prayer. And I see people praying during pre-service prayer, and honestly, it's generally the same two, three, four people every week. But what would our church look like a year from now if today, today, each one of us committed just even once every six weeks? That's like, that's honestly, that's not that big of a commitment. Once every six weeks to come to pre-service prayer at 930 just once. What if every Sunday more and more people filled that room up praying God's word over our church and over people that walk through the doors, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It says that in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. What if the room got so full with people offering up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save them and God heard because of our reverent submission? I want people to see Christ reflected so much in each one of us. I'm I'm speaking to myself. In each one of us that we are radiant, that we are such a reflection of his face, that people are drawn because they want what we have. They say, I want that. They no longer see us. They see him. So right now, I just, I want us to take a minute before the Lord. And just remember that church Church is the huddle. <laughs> this is just the sidelines and the locker meeting in the, you know, halftime. I'm not saying the right terminology, babe. I'm sorry. He's shaking his head. <laughs> I'm not a sports person. <laughs> but <laughs> church is just the huddle. The real game is week to week, is day to day, is in our daily lives, is at work, is in our sphere of influence, is the people on the street that cut us off, that are smoking and blowing smoke in our face. The real work is the people crying on the subway. The real work is how we are to our families, how we treat our spouses, how we treat our parents. I know that's a hard one for some of you, (laughs) but that's the real work. This is just the huddle. So Monday through Saturday, when we're in the real world with the time that we have left and what are we going to do with it? So I just want us to quiet ourselves before God and to look in the mirror for a second. That one year from now, spiritually, what do you want to see? What reflection do you want to see in the mirror? If you could be pinning a Pinterest picture of what you want to see one year from now, what would it look like? What muscle tone do you want to see in yourself spiritually? We have to put in the work. We can't be still. We have to be active. We have someone in our midst that has the map, the plan, the script. But what are we going to do with it? Are we going to take responsibility and put in the work?
to bow in reverent submission and praise our Father, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. So I would love if right now you guys would pull out your phones. Some of you already have it open. You've been scrolling Instagram for about 10 minutes. I don't blame you. Um, so pull out your phones and switch from Instagram to your notes app or whatever it is, a piece of paper, something. And I want you to just quiet yourself before the Lord right now. And I want you to ask him, God, what picture do you see of me? What do you see in me? What charge are you giving me, Lord, of who I am in you? And I want you to write that as your end game. That one year from now, what do you want to see in yourself? What do you want to see in this church? So that you'll know how much work, what's the work that I need to put in, Jesus? What is it you want to work on me to work out your will in my life, in my church's life, in my family's life? So let's just take a quiet moment and come before the Father in unveiled authenticity. Just ask him to show you what he wants you to do. Make a note of it. Make that your goal. I promise you that if you listen to his voice and do the work he is asking of you to grow and mature, you won't be the same. It will be worth it. So let's just take a minute. Ask the Father what that picture of yourself looks like. Father, we come to you today, a people that wants more of you. I know that's the truth because these people in this room wouldn't be here today if they didn't want more of you. So God, show us how to grow and mature and thrive in you. Show us what that looks like for each one of us. Show us how to do the work to be the part of the body of Christ that you called each one of us to be. God, I pray for each person in the room today that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. Give us a clearer picture of what that looks like. Show us our end game. Give us strength in your spirit to help us to make it so. We love you, Jesus. We want to honor you today, to worship you, to yield to you, to bow before you in reverence. We give these words and this message to you, and we pray that just like the loaves and the fishes, that you break it and feed it to each person 5,000 different ways in the way that they need it the most. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. I just want to say one last thing. 
I spoke to Nikki Ashiru, who's our elder, who's over prayer. And she has set up, is it a Google list? A Google? Just come to Nikki, but it's a sign-up sheet for pre-service prayer. So let's just think about that challenge of just once every six weeks to show up at 9.30 to pray, to pray for the people that walk through these doors. I promise you that if we all did that, that in one year this church would not look like it does today, and we would see God do a huge move here. I'm going to turn it over to Emmanuel now.